0: Hi, my name is Yasmin Terehi, and this is Gateways to Awakening, where we host one-on-one conversations with leading experts in wellness, well-being, and spirituality. Today's episode is about exploring the magical world of mushrooms with Juliana Ferchi. Juliana is a foundress and executive director of the Fungi Foundation. She's a Harvard University associate, dame of the Order of the Star of Italy, co-chair of the IUCN Fungal Conservation Committee, and author of several titles including a series of field guides to Chilean fungi. And she's also worked in the nonprofit sector for the last 17 years and has held consulting positions in U.S. philanthropic foundations as well as full-time positions in international marine conservation NGOs and Chilean environmental NGOs. So I am so excited to welcome Juliana to the show. Welcome.
1: Thank you very much. It's an honor to be here. So,
0: Juliana, I want to talk a little bit about your childhood and how your formative years really brought you to this world of fungi. And I know it's a very long journey, uh, but if you could just set it up for our audience before we dive into the world of fungi, I think it would really help with the context. So how did your path from childhood to undergrad to adulthood bring you to this world?
1: Well... I was born and brought up in London, daughter of a Chilean refugee and an Italian uh, student. And I lived in London until I was 15 years old, almost 15. And during that time period, I was, you know, immersed in a concrete jungle, as Bob would say, and with periodic travel to the Italian countryside or to Chile. But it was really an imbalanced, you know, nature versus concrete um, situation. But my mother always kept our house full of plants and she would always strive for environmental matters. And I think she was very, very important in in me taking a path towards environmental conservation, as well as my Italian grandmother, who was a... Um, she worked you know, in, in the countryside and she was working with land constantly with my granddad. So it was a, a pretty unbalanced way of getting there, I would say.
0: And what about for your undergrad? What did you study in undergrad and how did that sort of set the stage for moving into the world of um,
1: fungi? So when I finished my schooling years, all I knew was that I wanted to give back in some way. Um I thought it was giving back through humanity, um, so i stu- I studied to be a social worker, and that definitely wasn't wasn't a great choice because there were many humans involved and And then I thought, well, I'm going to try working for plants, um but what about plants you know in the water and i st- and I started studying with um, a phycologist, so studying seaweed algae. And while I was at university doing my undergraduate uh, studies in aquaculture, I was introduced to fungi with, by, just by an encounter I had in the forest that was not deliberate at all. I was studying to protect seaweed and ended up protecting fungi many years later.
0: Amazing. And actually, I think this is a a fun kind of um, little aside to ask, like, how is it actually pronounced? Is it fungi
1: or fungi? (laughs) So um, you can say it either way. You can say fungi, fungi, fungi. In the U.S., people normally say fungi. And in the U.K., it's normally fungi but they're all correct.
0: Ah, okay. There's a, a joke um, that is uh, about mushrooms. It's, it's a, what does the mushroom say when he goes to the party? And then the answer is, I'm a fun guy. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So and, that's, then,
1: and then the lichen says, I'm liking it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, it's so funny. I had a, a argument with my fiance about how it's pronounced. And so I've been calling it fun guy, but I normally call it fungi. So I think it's so funny because a lot of people really don't know. Um, so thank you for that. And also, is mushrooms interchangeable with the word fungi?
1: No. So mushrooms are a type of fungi or fungi. Fungi are a, a kingdom of organisms where you have yeasts, molds, lichens, conks, And so mushrooms are like saying birds versus animals that would be fungi.
0: And your work is specifically on all types of fungi or in particular mushrooms?
1: I work um, to bring justice to all of the organisms of kingdom fungi as much as possible. But my field work um, is normally focused on mushrooms and other types of macroscopic uh, fungi.
0: Yeah, Got it. Okay. And Can you walk us through the journey of mushrooms and the dominant types of mushrooms? I know in the last couple of years, it feels like there's been an explosion of interest in mushrooms. And so I'm just curious if you could tell us, like, what are sort of the dominant types that are found in uh, most environments? Or is it just really unique to the geography of a place?
1: So fungi are specific to their substrate um and so you will you won't find a mushroom um growing on birch that normally grows on pine for example so they are they are very very um specific and normally don't share many hosts between each other
0: ah uh, got it okay and why are they so important to our ecosystem i mean why why is there why did you, why did you dedicate your life's work to studying them
1: hmm. so so fungi as i mentioned before are organisms that conform a kingdom or queendom as i like to say as well of their own just like plants do and just like animals do so when we say fungi we're saying plants right the equivalent and in plants there are moss ferns trees, shrubs, um, and, and many other types of organisms. If we say kingdom animalia, the animals will find you know, insects, birds, mammals, and so many other types of, of organisms. And when we talk about the fungi, we're talking about a huge group of organisms that have different ecological roles, but they mostly are either symbiotic, which means that they associate with other organisms to enable life. Or they are um, de- decomposers, which means they um, they ensure the recycling of organic matter on Earth. We know that energy is not lost; it is it is transformed, and it's the fungi that do that with the bacteria mostly.
0: Mm. Wow! And why? You know, why have mushrooms not been studied for so long? Do you have a hypothesis on that? Is it because of the nature of kind of the, I guess, the recycling piece of it that they, uh, you know, kind of recycle um substances or why, why, why is there such a renewed interest today in mushrooms? And I think, you know, the work of Paul Samets has also uh, been helpful and um, there's been documentaries that have come out, but yeah, I'm just curious, like, why do you think it's, they've been so understudied if they've been so important, if you have a hypothesis on
1: that? Um, So, I mean, the, the organisms are have not been acknowledged as a kingdom of their own or the fungi until 1969, which is when we had the tools and techniques um, to really see different cell structures, to be able to measure different things, to see, you know, microscopic characteristics and differences. Um, so th- the reason that the organisms are understudied is because we haven't really had the tools to study them in a better way, That on one hand. And on the other hand, these are organisms that are, uh, that are associated either to paganism or to rot, to decay, or to um, phallic structures, um, to foul smells, to textures that are weird, um, but ma- basically to decomposition, which to many is thought to be death. Um, and not, you know, part of, of life. So, so for for many of those reasons, um, they are, they have been understudied. And what's has been happening recently is that we've had, you know, we've, we've had the opportunity to, uh, to discover more. And we've had some great opportunities through movies or books to be able to spread the word of fungi. So in the case of Paul Stamets, for example, I, first met him, you know, almost 20 years ago when I went to study with him. And and he's, for, for many decades, for 40 years, he's been struggling um, for mainstream recognition of the attributes of fungi. Um, and finally, after that, all that time, you know, we're, we're starting to get somewhere.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's so interesting because I think the way that I've seen the range of descriptions of mushrooms is... You know they can be toxic and lethal to medicinal, uh, and then to hallucinogenic. And I'm so curious, like, how does one kind of um, I don't know if you want to call it species, but how, how do mushrooms have such a wide range in in being able to kind of heal, but also kill? Um, I mean, it just it seems so fascinating that that's the case. And and I think a lot of people really are clueless um, to what that looks like.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's just like with plants and animals. There's no difference. I mean, there are animals that kill, that poison you, that feed you. Um, there are plants that kill you, you know, that feed you. So what's what's curious is that one doesn't expect that from the fungi, being that, that they're another kingdom of life. So. So it's important to understand that, for example, within Kingdom of the Fungi, there are all sorts of organisms, you know, from yeast that make our bread, our chocolate, our wine, our beer, you know, our soy sauce and so many other things, our coffee, you know, um, to um mushrooms that we might eat or might not but also to the lichens that um that we might use for to dye wool or other fibers but that whole array of um of species and their uses are not different for fungi than they are a huge array for plants and, and animals
0: Ah, uh, got it. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah, it's so interesting because in my mind, I sort of separate uh, mushrooms in in their own kind of space and, and category. And of course, yeah, fungi includes yeast, and you said mold as well.
1: Yes, mold. So yeasts, molds, lichens, conks, and there are many. Um, you know, there are many microscopic organisms in aquatic ecosystems. You know, um, marine and freshwater. I mean. They're a whole kingdom of life, just like animals and just like plants. So, for example, the, the a, a morel and a button mushroom are as closely related as a flea and an elephant.
0: Wow, it's fascinating. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And what about when it comes to kind of classifying mushrooms by age or gender? I mean, is it, is it easy or difficult to tell um, how old mushrooms are, or does it just
1: require ex- a lot of experience? So um, the 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 thing with age. So this is the the thing. So if we were to to determine the age of an ant or of an elephant, that that's the equivalent of the question. So when you when you're asked about Anything about fungi or, or mushrooms, or, it's it's impossible because they're not one thing, they're not one species, or even one group, you know, taxonomic group. So, how do we determine the age? How can we determine the age of an insect? That that's the equivalent of the question of how can we determine the age of a mushroom, mm. right? So there's a there's a big opening of the mind that needs to be happen hap, needs to happen when talking about them. So we can we can determine the age of a species depending on what type of species it is, a fungus, just as if it were a type of animal. Um, but with mushrooms, the ones that form these structures that that have you know a stipe and 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 a cap and a, and a pileus, like a, like an umbrella, for example, right, a, a common mushroom. What we're seeing with that macroscopic macro, structure is basically um, the equivalent of a fruit of a tree. So, um, the tree we don't see on the surface, and that's the mycelium, right? This body, this ever living or ever growing, in many cases, body that lives in the soil, in a tree trunk, sometimes in, you know, uh, bodies or Inside, invisible to the naked eye, that lives all year round, and then once a year or twice a year or once every few years, it, few years, it will produce this macroscopic spore-producing body that body that's a mushroom or you know or a conk, um, and so we know that there are some myceliums, some mycelia, some of these big structures that are one individual that can live for thousands of years, uh, but Uh, And there are others that might live for a very short period of time. Um, We can't easily determine that um, in a generic way. But we do know that a mycelium uh, that lives, for example, on a a piece of wood will probably live as long as there's enough wood to, to live on. Right, so once that wood is fully decomposed, the fungus will probably that that body of the fungus will probably no longer continue to to be able to live. Yeah, and so and then with gender, it's it's a whole other issue. There's there's no male or female in fungi. There is there is a species of fungus that has uh, dozens of thousands of type mating types, for example.
0: Ah, uh, got it. And um, can you define mycelium uh, for our audience who may be new to that that word and how that's different from the word of mushroom and and fungi?
1: A mycelium is a structure made up of microscopic filaments called hyphae that interconnect to create a sort of web like, white, mostly white, fluffy. Uh, material that you will find in the soil. Now that's the body of the fungus, of some fungi, of mushroom producing fungi. So yeasts and lichens don't have, don't produce that body called a mycelium, but the mushrooms that we see in the forest almost, well, all of them do. So from a mycelium, once or twice a year or once every f- few years, this structure that we that we harvest to eat um, or photograph will be produced with the only purpose of producing and dispersing spores, which are sort of the equivalent of seeds for sexual reproduction of the fungi.
0: Got it. So uh, if you were to call someone a mycologist, it would be the person who studies mycelium, which is largely focus on mushrooms and this kind of so okay, go ahead. You're no, my, I, I'm my, new my, to
1: this space, so <laughs> No, it's fine. So a mycologist is a scientist who studies organisms of kingdom of the fungi. Now a mycologist might be focused on yeasts, which are unicellular fungi. Um that Reproduce in a totally different way that have no mycelium and that have no mushrooms. Ah, got it. Uh, a mycologist might be a mycologist lichenologist and studies, you know, these organisms that are a symbiotic organism with algae. Uh, mycologist may well be um, somebody who studies uh, molds, for example, or a mycologist can also study aquatic microscopic organisms that are from kingdom of the fungi. Now, the people who study only mushroom-forming fungi normally are mycologists who study the order agaricales. So that's how you would name uh, only, you know, only mushroom-studying mycologists. They study agaricales.
0: Got it. Okay. Wow, there's a lot of uh, definitions.
1: I mean, it's <laughs> it's not that difficult, Yasmin, if you think about it, you wouldn't call an ornithologist, a zoologist. And you wouldn't call <laughs> right. an entomologist just a zoologist, right? right? So a botanist, a zoologist, and a mycologist. Those are the big categories. A Got botanist it. studies plants, right? Mm-hmm. Um, a, bo- um, a zoologist studies animals, and a mycologist studies fungi. But inside a botanist, there are several different types of scientists studying different organisms.
0: Thank you for that. Now I'm learning a lot from this show, so (laughs) thank you. And and I'm sure a lot of people have the same question because... there's yeah i think for folks who are not studying it so thank you for for setting that up and it makes sense now um so now i know what mycologist means <laughs> and i'm i'm also curious juliana why you decided to study in chile and not go back to the uk and and also like what sort of uh, discoveries you found uh, in your own work
1: so when i when i started working for the fungi i was you know in in a country where there was nowhere to study mycology there were no mycologists you know available to help um me further that you know that curiosity and so I, I could have left and um you know studied in a in a different country but i also had the choice you know i had the opportunity well the possibility to take the opportunity um to make sure that nobody else had to uh, leave their country again um, to study mycology. And that was the, the route I chose to take. And it was, it was to sort of, you know, not pursue the ambition of knowing more about fungi in an academic sense, but more of pursuing, you know, the, the building of a platform to enable mycology for anybody and everybody, wherever there isn't a chance to do that academically.
0: Wow. And and do you expect to stay in Chile um, to kind of spearhead the um, Fungi Foundation or are you planning to expand that into other parts of the world or is there maybe another place in the world that has more species or um, other species of fungi that might be interesting for you and your team to study?
1: So the Fungi Foundation is, is based in the U.S. and in Chile and we for for many years we've been working all over the world. You know, I, I've been um, doing field studies in close to 20 countries already. You know, in 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 my career, and and many people at the foundation travel to different countries in the world to help with surveys and studies. So so our work has never really been restricted to one geography and it will continue to grow and it will continue to deepen knowledge and deepen the building of opportunities for mycology you know in in different countries of the world our organization is is a global one and and when the moment is is ripe um i'm sure that other country offices might also be created
0: and what can folks in our audience? We have a pretty global audience, about seventy countries. Uh, what mm-hmm. can people do today to co- kind of
1: take action and support your foundation and your work? So there, there are different ways to support the foundation, and and, and thank you for asking. Um, one of the ways is, you know, it's probably the, the most direct way, and and. Um, in a way that many people like to contribute, and that's by making a donation on the web page. But that's not really the only way we feel somebody can contribute. You can contribute in a very effective way by incorporating fungi into your language and and to really stop referring to to life on earth as just plants and animals and and to acknowledge the fact that they live, to learn who they are and what they do and to transmit that to other people. So next time, you know, you're having dinner with friends and you know, you're having a lovely glass of wine, or maybe you're having a fruit juice or a glass of kombucha, and you're looking at a beautiful bread basket, you know, with the most amazing crumb, and you're wondering whether you're going to, you know, eat it with butter or oil, and then you have, you know, some wonderful food. Really, none of what I described can live without fungi. Mm. I mean, that's the thank you one needs to give at the table, <laughs> too. You know? so, so, just acknowledging and sharing that is a huge contribution to our mission.
0: Mm, yeah, yeah. It's so it's so interesting to think about that. How fungi is in a lot of our, you know, food and and what we consume day in and day out. But we we sort of don't think about it that way at all. Yeah. And one thing I want to double click on, which I'm not sure if this is something you've studied, but mushrooms have become very popular for their hallucinogenic properties, and specifically psilocybin. Uh, I actually went to a talk with Michael Pollan many years ago when I lived in San Francisco. And, uh, you know, that's sort of been an explosion of interest in magic mushrooms. Um, and so I'm curious, what has been your experience? Why have some mushrooms become hallucinogenic?
1: Well, we use the term psychedelic and not hallucinogenic. Um, hallucinogenic um, really is, it refers to uh, you know, a, a feature that may or may not occur. And it's, you know, um, but psychedelic is, is the term that we use for the uh, quote unquote, mind altering feature of these um, species. So the psychedelic um, sort of awakening that we're seeing now is truly important. And I think it's, it's in some way, the result of the truly traumatic ways of living that we've, Normalized for many years, um, and and so, you know, what we're seeing now is also a reversing on these very um, unfortunate policies that were passed. You know, during the war on drugs, you know, Nixon was was really played an important part on um, stopping the medicinal use of these species that could uh, promote. uh, mental health well-being or, you know, emotional well-being, because it's dangerous to to, to promote peace and and that well-being when, you know, you're trying to drive an agenda that is more conflict-driven. Um, but now that we have so many ailments after so many years of of destructive behavior, of destructive and confrontational relationships, you know, from between countries, between people, um, these, these species come to offer um, a way to heal trauma, trauma, a way to heal depression, and a way to uh, promote you know, well-being and 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 dignity at the end of life, and um, and love, and peace, and gratitude.
0: Mm, I love that so much. Um, so,
1: Juliana, what have you
0: seen change so drastically in the last decade or so since you started working in this space? Has have you had any kind of surprising aha's or moments of maybe clarity? And especially how the last year and a half or so. Um, of the pandemic and how that sort of shifted your point
1: of view. Well, more than more than being able to sort of presence or to focus on on my own personal sort of you know, moments of clarity, what I've been really enjoying is to see the public's moments of clarity, especially the public's reaction to books like um, you know Entangled Life by Merlin Sheldrick and to the movie Fantastic Fungi. Um, so fantastic fungi which was released debuted at the beginning of the pandemic really really changed people's minds and and saying that also michael pollan's book how to change your mind also you know made an uh, impact on how people um you know are living and seeing the people who read that but net, you know the netflix move to screen fantastic fungi has really broadened the impact of um of these sort of you know outreach, um, outreach pieces for fungi. And I am just delighted to be able to witness this in my lifetime. I mean, I've been working for the fungi for 23 years. Imagine people like Paul Stamets, who, you know, have been working for the fungi for 40 years to, to be able to see this happen. It's a true delight to finally see people understand and realize Um, the importance of these organisms and how much understanding them can help you live a life, a good life, you know, tolerating interconnectedness, tolerating decay, Mm, Um, understanding that rot and death isn't the end. It's a transformation. It's a beginning for others. So, it's a true privilege to witness this this moment. Mm.
0: Oh, I love that so much, and uh, the idea of decay and death is something in our culture that we sort of shy away from. And I actually had B.J. Miller, Doctor B.J. Miller, on the show who talks about dying well and how, when a lot of people, at least in the West, when we perceive decay and death as a failure um as opposed yeah. to it being like just a natural progression of life and that you know there's there's so much beauty in that in that sort of transition but we sort of um are living in a culture that is i don't know antagonistic towards towards decay and so i think to me that's been um just even from a symbolic perspective the most powerful story of fungi the and mushrooms the idea of what happens after uh decay and decomposition takes place yeah. and what is created right um as a result of that so i i just appreciate that aspect
1: it's very important it's very important there there it depends on how you see things um where you stand in the cycle of life you know where the beginning is yeah yeah
0: so, Juliana, I have a, a little bit of a personal question because I had never heard this before. The Dame of the Order of the Star of Italy. <laughs> <laughs> oh uh, what does that
1: even mean? Uh, can you tell oh. us
0: So, for those of us who don't know?
1: Right. So um, <laughs> a, a few years back, I was um, condecorated by the Republic of Italy for my um, service to the country through my work for fungi. Um, and I was, um, named uh, Dame of the Republic of Italy, but because I was born outside of Italy, I was born in London. Uh, I, I am a member of the Order of the Star, which is an order of, um, you know, knights and dames who are Italian citizens who have honored their country and their country's you know reputation and represented their country um outside of, of Italy but the, and that were also born outside of Italy
0: oh, so got it yeah. and what does that mean in terms of your title right because i
1: think uh, sir refers to what is it is it knight well you know in in um i think it's different in england than in other places um in uh, in italy you know i could i could use um you know a, a, a few letters after my name i don't choose to do so um but i also have come to terms with the fact that it's something real and that i shouldn't be ashamed of it and i am actually proud that that my country decided to to um honor me with that but i i don't use it normally after <laughs> my name or before my name and i don't expect anybody to do that either <laughs> Yeah,
0: (laughs) amazing. And I want to also go back to um, your parents because uh, I believe you. You know, you mentioned that your mom was a a Chilean. um, Was it a refugee uh, during the time of the dictatorship? And then uh, your father was from Italy. Uh, How did your parents' story kind of give you the perspective you needed to live the life that you want? I I think this is something a lot of people don't talk about, this sort of, what does it mean to be a first generation um, immigrant? And then also you went, you know, kind of to live in Chile, right? At the age of 15. So what was that experience like? I think that the hyphenated journey is so interesting and something that we don't talk about, but but it really provides so much perspective that... um, a lot of folks don't have, right. If they're just born in a country to parents who are from that country. So yeah, I'm curious, like how did that shift your perspective on humanity um, and the way the world worked?
1: Well, I think we're both first, um, I, what was the term you used? First time immigrants or first...
0: First generation.
1: First, first generation, right. So, we're, so both my mother and I are first generation immigrants because, you know, she... Emigrated from Chile and arrived as an immigrant to England. I, however, was born in England of an Italian father, and I was made to leave, uh, you know, England when my mother returned to her country. But I, you know, feel like an immigrant in Chile. I wasn't. I'm not from here, born here. You know, my father is from somewhere else. So, so there's a there's a situation where both the exile and then his or her children as returnees to their country live something similar, we're we're uprooted. She was uprooted when she was made to leave, I was uprooted when I was made to leave. Um, And many people don't acknowledge that, right? They think that when a refugee goes back to their country, the children born outside are also going back, and we're not going back, I'm coming, I came to Chile, I didn't return to Chile. Now, if I were to go and live in England, I would be going back. So there's a big difference there. I mean, the the, the generational impact of exile and being uprooted. Um, when democracy returns and people are allowed back to their countries, that uprooting and that you know that turmoil in families continues, and it can continue for many generations. So that's one thing that I've learned, and it really does shape you. Uh, the other thing that really, for me, has been very clear since I was very small is that. Uh, I have no right to stop my mother, and I had no right I have no right to stop my mother from coming back to her country after she was made to leave by a dictator and so I never really have been dwelling on the fact that I came to Chile um I am very proud that I helped my mom come back to to chile i didn't if I had really you know been um been Hard and and said to my mother, and I don't want to leave England. There's no way I'm leaving. I'm staying. Then you know I I could have really made it hard for her and possibly even stopped her from ever coming back to her country, right? Because she would have to choose: do I stay with my child or do I go back to my country? So I'm very proud that I was able to leave my my existence to one side at that moment and really just assist her and. In in going coming back to Chile and with with the feeling that I could eventually go back to England if I wanted to, you know.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah, I'm. I could probably spend an entire conversation just on mm. on that point, because uh, I, you know, think it's so fascinating and also what it was like in terms of the welcome back or if you felt you know, that there's just kind of a little bit of a boundary between you and
1: the, you know, the rest of the folks in the country who grew up in that country? Um, I mean, it's very difficult. For me, it was a culture shock. I mean, I arrived to a country, I mean, coming from England, from London to Santiago is a massive culture shock. I mean, when you're a 15 year old, and you're, you know, a year away from leaving home, possibly, because in England, it's not abnormal for you know, for, for young people to leave their home when they're 16 or 17 and to come to a country where people leave home when they get married, you know, and just, and, 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 you know, it's just very different culturally. Um, that on one hand, the, the level of independence of young people in, in, in South America in general is a lot less than in, in many of these large European countries. Um, and so i you know it's the very small uh, societies that have very little immigrants and i came from london which is probably one of the cities with the most number of immigrants <laughs> so you know just coming to to chile and everybody looked the same and everybody dressed the same i couldn't believe it it was it was it was awful you know there's no there was no diversity today thankfully thanks to immigration There are some people of different color in Chile, but that's only happened in the last five years. Mm.
0: Wow. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. I I love that story. So, uh, Juliana, I know that we're kind of coming towards um, the, the end of our conversation. I have a couple more questions to ask you, and I'm curious if we can... Turn our attention a little bit towards um, mushrooms again, and talk about the Telluride Mushroom Festival. Mm, <laughs> I had <have> never, <laughs> I had never heard about that before, and I'm just so excited that that exists. Um, obviously, I know about the film festival in Telluride. Um, I, I have a, a side kind of career in film and have had films at the festival circuit, but yeah, I'm just curious, like, what exactly is this mushroom festival? <laughs>
1: So the Telluride uh, Mushroom Festival is a wonderful gathering that happens once every year and has happened for the last 41 years. It was a festival founded by the Solzman, um, the Solzmans, so Manny Salzman and his wife, and um, Paul Spamitz, Gary Linkoff, and Andy Andy Wale. Sorry, Andy Wale, the, the doctor. Um, And it was born as a space to talk about entheogenic fungi and psychedelics and, and also science. And for many years, it has been a place where you can go and learn about the science of psychedelics, the science of fungi at large, there have been some very important mycologists. There every year that have nothing to do with psychedelics, um, and it's a place to celebrate fungi, to revere them, to dress up as them, to <laughs> chant your love for them. Um, and there, we're we're a big family at this point. You know, people that go every year, um, and really, uh, just just a, it's a place where if you're absolutely crazy about mushrooms you can share that with other people who are also really, really into them, you know.
0: Amazing. (laughs) What are some of your favorite costumes that you've seen? I'm just curious.
1: (laughs) Is there? Oh, there are some great ones. Um, So there's a a really lovely mycologist called John Michelotti. He's from Catskill Fungi in upstate New York. And, you know, the, the year before last, he was a corn smut. And that was incredible. And this year he was a puffball. I mean, he just has some of the best costumes <laughs> you know, in the last years. I've seen um, groups of people dress up as enoki's you know, in the supermarket with, uh, uh, you know, inside the bag. Um, you see people dressed as Paul Stamets. You see people <laughs> you know, dressed as stinkhorns or you know, it, it's just they're, they're all incredible. The parade is really an unmissable um, scene if you're in if you're in Colorado in August. <laughs> Amazing. And did you dress up? I dress up every year. Yeah. And I've won I've won costume awards before, too. <laughs> so, yeah, I um I've been a giant mushroom and I've yeah, I've been a. Oh, so many things. Yeah, <laughs> some, some things that happen in Telluride stay in Telluride.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, I'm going to Google all the videos and pictures uh, right after this conversation because that's so fascinating. I just remember growing up um, with the, the show, I think it was called Smurfs, um, yes. which was all about these kind of you know cartoon like mushrooms and i love them so much but
1: uh well if you if you look at the smurfs a bit closer what you're actually seeing the only it, it's about the fungus uh, the mushroom amanita muscaria amanita muscaria is the only mushroom around that looks like that red with white dots and large <laughs> and, and um it's the oldest hallucinogen known to humans to humankind mm. and it's it's known to be in the ritual um vedic uh, beverage soma and associated to be god the god soma and what's happening is that gargamel the priest is using his cat azrael to um to kidnap these smurfs right he walks around with the basket uh, gargamel and he you know as they, they kidnap the smurfs so that the smurfs taken back to the village where he can harvest these mushrooms that's why he has a basket so if you read between the lines basically gargamel is a priest looking for magic mushrooms using a cat to kidnap the little blue creatures he sees in them
0: (laughs) oh my goodness you just blew my blew my mind (laughs) that is the way you could
1: read that show (laughs) oh
0: my goodness wild 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 Uh, so Juliana, (laughs) (laughs) wow. Um, Juliana, what are some books and resources that have inspired you on this path? I know that you named a few earlier. Um, and by the way, the Sheldrakes, actually the children went to uh, the same summer camp as my uh, fiance. Um, so I know about their work. Um, was it Merlin who wrote Entangled?
1: Uh, Merlin Merlin Sheldrake who wrote Entangled Life is... I think that's one of the best books I've ever read about fungi. There's, I mean, if anybody wants to know about mushrooms and fungi, Entangled Life is a must-read. Also the books of Nicholas P. Money. Um, that There's one called The Triumph of the Fungi that's wonderful, and there are so many others he's written. Um, Finding the Mother Tree by Suzanne Simard that talks about, you know, the, the, the mycelium that connects trees below ground. Um, and, you know, there, there are... Um, if you want something more applied, um, Mycelium Running by Paul Stamets is a great read, too.
0: Great, great. And for folks who are brand new beginners, uh, where would you tell them to start in terms of online resources? Uh, would they would you tell them to kind of to go to your website? Uh, or is there kind of anything else that you could point them to, especially for folks who are very, very new to the space completely?
1: I would definitely point you to see Fantastic Fungi. Um that you know the, it's available on netflix and and it really is a one a delightful documentary and you can learn a lot of the basics of fungi um if you want to learn you know you can see small pieces around decay and and other things on our website at ffungi.org um and on the youtube channel and in general um there are several resources uh, available you i'd look for for your nearest mushroom Club, your nearest mycological, you know, club. Um, if wherever you are, you can try to contact groups of mycophiles that are going out into the forest. The forest is the best place to learn.
0: Mm, amazing. And uh, Juliana, what is your main call to action for our audience? What is your main takeaway that you want to tell people about your work, or just something to leave them with to sort of ruminate about?
1: I I would definitely invite people to. Um, think about the importance of rot, the importance of decay, the importance of letting things rot, the importance of um, ultimately even, you know, celebrating decomposition, because it's the only way that we can have recomposition. There will be no regeneration without degeneration. And uh, I would love it if people could think a bit about how important it is, for example, that A lemon rots, even because that fungus that's on your old lemon that is first white and then goes bluish, well, that's where penicillin comes from. So let's think about humanity without penicillin, for example.
0: So let things rot. That's the the takeaway, call to action. And, (laughs) And Juliana, where can people find you? What is the website of the
1: Fungi Foundation? So the fungi foundation website is ffungi.org. And you can find me at on Instagram at Julie Fungi and or the, and at fungi foundation. And if you want it in Spanish, you can go to at Fundacion Fungi and you'll find us there.
0: Amazing. And just to reiterate for our guests, it's two double F for, for fungi, yeah. and then you can find it that way. Okay, great. Yeah. Juliana, thank you so much for your time. I learned so much and I have a lot to think about from this conversation. Um, I feel like this is just the beginning of my journey. And I know for a lot of people, uh, who, there's going to be a lot of interest and probably a lot of follow-ups from this conversation. So thank you so much for your work and your contribution to humanity in this world. I just, I'm very impressed and inspired by you.
1: Thank you very much. And I, I'm I'm delighted and honored at the invitation. Thank you.
0: Uh, For our audience, thanks for joining and for listening. In this episode, we learned about the world of fungi and the importance of fungi on our planet today. You can tune in to Gateways to Awakening, where we host one-on-one conversations with leading experts in wellness, well-being, and spirituality. Thanks again.